get to worship with you. Thank you for that. It's good to get to see you this morning. If you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 2 Peter. Uh, so we continue going through this letter from the Apostle Peter to the churches at the end of his life. Uh, and we continue talking about and looking at the warnings against some of the false teaching and false teachers that have been infiltrating the church and been trying to learn from these letters, how is this true of us, and to be on our guard and be aware of uh, what's coming against us. And so it's just a joy to be able to dive in the Word together. As you turn there, just want to let you know about a couple things uh, kind of for today that are important for us as a church. One, and we say this a lot, but we are so much more than a service or a gathering. We're a family. And so to be a part of a family means that we pursue Jesus together. Side by side, arm in arm, it's not just coming to an event or coming to something on the weekend. It is running the race alongside brothers and sisters in Christ in the same church, in the same community. And one of the primary ways that we do that here is through go groups. And we have go groups that are more built around study of the word. We have go groups that are built around fellowship, living life on life. Go groups that are serving in our community and around. Uh, and just want to remind you, if you're not in a go group, there are several that are starting today, this morning. There are several studies that are happening right now. There's two or three new ones here at 930, and there's another 11. Uh, new book studies of the Bible and 1 Samuel and Colossians. There's a study going on for assurance of salvation and spiritual disciplines. And so if you're not running alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ, and this is your church home, we would encourage you to jump into one of those go groups, be known, pursue Jesus with others. Uh, second thing I just want to say is, as we get into this passage in, in just a minute, it's just five verses, but there's, there's a lot here. Uh, and one of the issues that kind of comes out in this text, along with other passages of Scripture, that kind of causes uh, some discomfort, questions, wrestling for believers, is this. Can you lose your salvation? Can you lose your salvation? How do I know that I'm saved? Is my salvation secure? And so I'm not going to directly answer that question as we walk through this text, but what we are going to do is at the end of the message and responses, we're going to have a, a short elder conversation to address that question. How do you know if you can lose your salvation? How do you know that you're saved? How can you encourage someone else wrestling through their salvation? So that's kind of how the morning's going to go. We're going to be in the Word together. We'll respond to it. And then we'll have a short elder conversation where we address that doctrinal issue. So that's kind of where we're going this morning. So let's go ahead and jump straight into Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 17. These, talking about the false teachers, are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh, those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves or bondservants of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. 
This is the word of the Lord. So there's so much in this passage, and I'm thankful that we get to dive into it together. Peter's warning to us is about false teachers and false teaching. And as we talk about uh, these realities, one of the comments that I've kind of gotten, some, some of our other pastors have too, is, you know, why not spend more time kind of naming false teachers? False teachers in culture, false religions, maybe false teachers in our area. And, and there's a time for that. But what we've wanted to do is what Peter is doing here. And what he's doing is he's helping us get to the, the root of false teaching, to understand what is underneath that. So that we can identify false teaching with the truth, with God's Word. And we've said this for the last several weeks, I just want to say it again. The greatest danger of false teaching is not a Darth Vader kind of figure, or a hooded figure out there somewhere that's going to kind of sneak in and like steal away your spouse and your kids in the middle of the night or wherever that might be. The most dangerous false teacher is the person that we love. It's our coworker. it's our friend. It's a family member, it's, it's a sibling, it's someone in your fellowship group. It could even be you. But someone who has begun to believe some lies, things that look good, sound good, that kind of go along with faith, but at their root are not in line with the truth of God's Word. I was thinking about this personally. I had a conversation with a friend recently and this person had kind of gotten disengaged from worship and the body of Christ during the pandemic, which many people did for all kinds of reasons. It was just encouraging and challenging this, this brother about pursuing the body. And he was talking about how they kind of found a place for plugging in as he was describing what it was and kind of their teaching and things that are there. I just began to warm him that there was so much of the teaching of this group that he was a part of, this church, that wasn't faithful to Scripture. It's ambiguous in, in their doctrine. The way that they are led is not in line with the leadership that Scripture and qualifications that Scripture gives out. And as we're talking through this, he's kind of agreeing and, and wrestling through that too. But then he stops me and he says, hey, but Paul, I've got to tell you something. One of my kids uh, has opened up about their faith in this community, in this church, in a way they never have before. And to hear my child talk about this, and his eyes are beginning to well up with tears. See God at work in my son's life this way. I mean, I've never been a part of something like that before. And in that moment, what, what he's saying is, I know all these things are questionable and don't align with Scripture, but my experience for me and my family it's proven that this is something worth following. And I had to lovingly say to my brother, Lord, I'm, I'm glad that the Lord's at work in your family. But brother, that stuff, what you feel, what you experience, does not shift what God's word says is true. And that's easy for me to talk about someone I, I care about deeply, and we can kind of have that conversation with someone out there. But friends, this is happening in your life and my life. Where we begin to compromise on the truth of Scripture, what it means to be a believer, what it means to faithfully follow Jesus based on what affirms others or affirms ourselves. And Peter's warning you and warning me to beware, to take care. And that's our big truth this morning. Pastor Daniel gave this to us a couple weeks ago. I just want to come back to it. Take care. There will be false teachers among you. 
Not there might be, but there will be false teachers among you. Let me just give you a few passages of Scripture. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 says this, But false prophets also arose among the people, talking about Old Testament, just as there will be, not might be, there will be false teachers among you, who secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. So these are Christians, or people who would say they're Christians. They claim to be servants of Christ. He is their master, but they've become false teachers. That's a warning for you, warning for me. We are prone to these lies and bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 2 Peter 2.17, we just read, these are waterless springs, mist driven by a storm. They, they look like they have life. They look like they have sustenance. They look like they can provide what your soul needs, but in the end, they're empty. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. And then we'll get to this in a few weeks, but in chapter 3, verse 17, he says this, You therefore, beloved, dearly loved ones, knowing this beforehand, take care. There's our big truth. Take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Friends, listen to me for a minute. Peter wouldn't be writing to the church saying that you can lose your stability in Christ if you couldn't lose your stability in Christ. That we are prone to deception. We are prone to follow our feelings. We are prone to follow our heart. We are prone to justify what we want and bend God's word around to, to validate our justification. This happens all the time in culture. It's happening in the church. So take care. And so what Peter does in these passages, again, he, instead of just outing all of the false teachers within the church by name, and again, Scripture does that in certain places, what he does is he begins to go through and give some marks of what false teaching looks like, what false teachers look like. Because if you can discern the truth from the lie, then you will be able to see the false teacher. And I think sometimes for us, we, we want to start with the false teacher. Hey, tell me who the person is and then I'll avoid them. But the warning of this passage is, hey, the false teacher might be you. It might be me. And the way we can know is by knowing the truth. This past week at our house, uh, you know, uh, this has actually been kind of an ongoing thing the last few weeks. Like we, we walked outside and behind our, our uh, basement, our backyard, there was water everywhere, you know, like standing water, which is never a good thing as a homeowner. There's always something going on. You know, Katie comes out with me, we're looking at it. She's like, you know, showing me these things. It's like, well, you always want me to put in a swimming pool. So, you know, here we go. We've got one like happening back here. And my first instinct is, hey, let's get the shot back. Hey, let's clean out all this water. Let's get it out. That's the problem. That's what it is. But as you know, as you're listening to me tell a story, it's not good enough just to deal with the problem. You've got to get to the source. And this past week we figured out that source was a broken water main coming into our house. So that was not good news, but it's resolved now. But we trace the water, the problem, back to its source. That's what Peter is doing in this passage and what he's helping us do. Don't just look at the false teacher, the, the Joel Osteen or whoever out there and say, oh, that's a false teacher. No, let's trace the lie. Let's get back to the source. What is it that is so wrong about what they're teaching? What is off from Scripture? If we can discern the truth from the lie, then it leads us to see false teaching. 
and false teachers. So we don't want to just deal with the fruit. We're trying to get to the root. So the question for us this morning is this. What are some of the marks of false teaching? How do we identify false teaching around us? Maybe even things that we've said. Maybe things that we've heard on Christian radio. That are just kind of subtle Subtle lies, subtle variations on the truth that have dangerous implications for our faith. So how do we identify them? And the last two weeks you can go back, because we've been going through Second Peter, you can uh, look at those notes or listen to those messages if you've missed. We've highlighted several things, but there's several from this passage I just want to hold out. So three big ideas this morning. The first one is this. The message of false teaching is alluring yet empty. How do we identify? What are the markers of false teaching? One of the clear marks of false teaching is that it looks good. It's alluring. But in the end, it's empty. Look at the scripture with me this morning. I'm just going to walk through this section. We'll put several of these up on the screen. There's several things he says about false teachers. The first thing he says is they are waterless springs, which means they offer life. They look like they have life, but really they are empty. Being out, imagine being out in a desert, you're, you're dry, you're looking for water, you see a well, you see a spring, you get to it, and then you realize it's contaminated, or it's dried up, there's nothing there. He's saying this is what false teachers are, they, they look promising, they look like they're going to offer life, they look like they're going to satisfy, but when you get to the well, it's empty. Think about the woman at the well, think about that story of the living water. She's trying to find her identity in these relationships with these men and she continues to come up empty. That's the same thing that false teaching does to us. It looks good, it promises us life, but it ends up being a source of death. If you're trying to identify false teaching, does it point you to the living well of Jesus Christ or does it point you to something else? And the lie of our hearts is to always chase things other than Jesus to try to find the source of life. He says they're water of spring. Second, he says they're mist. Driven by a storm, which kind of gives two different word pictures. One, it's the same idea. If, if you're in a parched land, if your crops need water and you see this storm on the horizon, you feel like there's hope that's coming, but then it just ends up being a mist. There's no rain, there's no water, there's no substance. But also, a mist driven by a storm promises, uh, they promise clarity, but they operate in ambiguity. Meaning that when you're at a fog, if you wake up early in the morning, like if you woke up this morning, there's just fog outside. You can't really tell what's there. You can't see around you that false teaching, it's ambiguous. It's slippery. It's, it's not very definitive. It's vague. False teachers tend to operate in the same way. Kind of sounds good, but you can't really see through it. They promise clarity. They promise that they're going to help you get to the truth, but it's all ambiguous. A third thing he says about the message of false teachers is that they are loud boasts of folly. Loud boasts of folly. What does that mean? They are loud in their opinions, but quiet regarding the truth of God's word. That one hurts a little bit, right? All you have to do is get on social media and there's a lot of loud people boasting of their opinion, boasting of this thing, thinking about that thing, holding up their political position or their ideas about what's wrong with the world and how to fix it and here's the evil people and here's the right people. Loud boast of folly, but they are quiet regarding what? God's word. Be warned, people who are loud with their opinion but quiet with truth are people that we should avoid. 
we should be wary of. We want to be around people who speak and know the truth of God's word. Next, he says, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh. What does that mean? It means they appeal to our desires. They appeal to our desires. This one has been so convicting for me as we've been walking through these passages. Friends, there's things that I just want. I don't want to have to work too hard. I want things to come easy. I want to feel good. I don't want to have to deal with the kids tonight. Whatever that might be. Like, I I just, there's things I want. And one of the messages of the enemy, one of the lies of false teachers, is they're going to appeal to your desires. They're going to affirm what you want to hear. You're tired, you're weary, it's been a long week, you don't really want to have to go to group or go to church and have to be exposed to the truth and you've had a hard time. Like, you want to hear, hey, it's okay. You don't have to go. You don't have to be in the Word. Life's really busy right now. The kids are really crazy right now. It's okay if you can't get up early enough to be in God's Word. It's okay if you're not in prayer right now. They appeal to your desires. They appeal to your flesh, not to the Spirit. This is how the enemy traps us. The word there, entice, literally is the second time it's come up in this chapter. It means to lay a snare. It's a hunter term. A hunter who's trying to trap an animal. There's a trap. There's something you're trying to draw them in. You've got the carrot out there and the rabbit's coming. You're trying to catch it in the trap like that's what the enemy does he's laying a snare for your soul because he knows you want this you want to feel this way you want to be affirmed in this thing and so the trap is laid for your soul and my soul anyone who appeals to the things that you want your desires you should be wary of because the holy spirit is against the desires of the flesh galatians 5 says at war against those this is how the enemy traps us If you were to come into my house today and want to kind of lay a trap for me on the table, if you put a bunch of kale or kale chips on the table, I'm probably not coming by it. You know, I'm probably going the opposite direction as far as I can. Like, I have no desire to snack on some kale this afternoon. But if you put an Auntie Ruth maple bacon donut on the table, I'm coming around. Like, I'm there for for that beautiful good gift of God from heaven that's, that's there. Listen, the enemy knows what you want. He knows what I want. The the false teaching, it appeals to our desires. And when it talks about sensual passion to the flesh, it's talking about any passion of the flesh, but there's a specific passion that's there talking about sexual desires. We don't have time to chase it this morning, but friends, one of the greatest enemies and traps for your soul and my soul is lust. And I think for me and our congregation, it's killing marriages, there's pornography, there's same-sex attraction, heterosexual and homosexual attraction that's there outside the bounds of marriage, this person who is your co-worker but you're not married to yet, all those kinds of things. That's one of the primary ways Peter's saying that the enemy draws us away. Beware. Beware. False teaching appeals to the flesh. Last uh, thing that we see in this section that entice those barely escaping. It entices those barely escaping. What does that mean? It means they appeal to new and coasting Christians. And the reason why I use that word coasting Christians is it's someone who would say that they're a believer, but there's really no pursuit of Jesus. 
not actively in the word, not actively in prayer, not actively in community, not actively in serving, not actively in generosity and giving. Just kind of have it in neutral, like I'm good with Jesus, but I'm living my life. Friends, if you're in that category, let me warn you, false teaching is a danger for you. Why? Because the further you get away from the voice of truth, the more susceptible you are to lies. And so Peter's saying, hey, for those who are new to the faith, this is going to be a major struggle for them. That's who the enemy and false teachers are going to target. But for those who are kind of neutral in their faith, they're coasting in their faith. Just kind of live in life. And Jesus is over here on the side. Be warned. The enemy is coming for your heart. So a couple points of application. What other than Jesus are you attracted to? What are you looking to for life? What are you looking to for meaning? What are you looking to for hope or joy? What is that thing in your life other than Jesus that you're just kind of drawn to to make you happy or to numb you or to distract you? What are the lies that you want to believe? What do you want people to tell you? How do you want to be affirmed? That's going to point you toward false teaching. What message do you want to hear? The message of false teachers is alluring yet empty. Second big idea, false teaching promises freedom but results in slavery. Promises freedom but results in slavery. Look at verse 19 with me. They promise them freedom but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person to that he is enslaved. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves in corruption. So here's the irony. The false teacher says, hey, if you will pursue this, you will be free. But the false teacher is actually a slave themselves. They promise freedom, this is important, apart from God's word. Apart from the truths of scripture. But they themselves are slaves. One of the lies that was being taught during this time was, hey, now that you're a Christian, now that you're saved, you can do whatever you want. There's freedom in Christ. You can sleep around with whoever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can indulge the flesh. You can have whatever you want. You're all good because you are in Christ. Peter's saying, no, that's not the truth. That's not what God has called us to. And notice the words that he used here. One of the key words that's important if you you highlight in your Bible is the word servant. It's the word doulos in the Greek. It means bondservant. And the reason why it's important is it's the exact same word that Peter uses to introduce the letter. So if you turn over in chapter 1, he says, Simon Peter, a servant. Exact same word. So Peter's doing a compare and contrast, and here's what he's saying. This is important. Either you are a slave of Christ, or you are a slave to sin. There's no in-between. Someone or something is going to be your master. You are going to give yourself to someone or something. You're going to give yourself to Jesus fully and completely, or you are going to become a slave, a bondservant of the flesh, of sin, of your desires. That freedom is an illusion. We've been set free in Christ, but what for? For ourselves? No, to follow him, to live for him. To live holy lives for his glory. Not freedom for the flesh. In fact, that's what Galatians 5 says. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Then a few verses later, he says this, For you are called to freedom, brothers. 
Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, in Scripture, we're not free to do whatever we want. We are free from the power of sin. We are no longer slaves to those desires anymore, but as a Jesus follower, you can choose to go back towards slavery, to go back to the things that first had us in bondage. And Peter's warning against that. There's a lie that's here. They promise freedom, but they result in slavery. And the key word in this passage, if you go back to verse 19, is the word overcome. They are overcome by their passions. What does that mean? Overcome means to be mastered by, to be defeated by, to succumb to. Their flesh has become their master. What are you looking to for freedom? Or maybe a better question is this, friends, brothers and sisters. Is there anything in your life that you are kind of a slave to right now? You can't get away from it. It's where your desires take you again and again and again and again other than Christ. Turn to Jesus. Which leads to a final big idea this morning, which is this. False teaching not only is alluring, yet empty. Not only does it promise freedom and lead to slavery, but lastly, false teaching leads to eternal judgment. Why? Because it is a rejection of Jesus. See, the end of false teaching is always a rejection of the Savior. And this is important. Whenever you reject the Savior, there's judgment. And that's not a popular message today. We don't like to talk about eternity. We don't like to talk about hell. We like to try to work around those things. But scripture is clear that for those who reject Jesus Christ, who do not trust in him as their Lord and as their Savior and as their Master, they will spend eternity separated from him. There is eternal consequence that is coming for you and for me. And we see that in verses 20 through 22. Let me just chase a few passages just in case we are unclear. A few things that are important to understand in this. First, Peter's clear that false teachers and those who follow their teaching are under eternal judgment. Verse 1 says this. There will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the mastery brought them. Listen to this bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Destruction is coming for false teachers and those who follow false teaching. Verse 9 that we looked at last week reiterates this theme that's running through this passage. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, listen to this, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. There is a day of judgment that's coming. And the unrighteous will experience that judgment. And I don't stand here in front of you to lift myself up over them and say, I figured it out or I'm better. I come this morning as an appeal. Don't be that person. Don't be under judgment. Turn to Jesus. In verse 17 that began our text this morning, it says, these are waterless springs, mist driven by a storm. But listen to this. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For them, the gloom of utter darkness. He's talking about eternal judgment. Peter's clear that false teachers and those who follow their teaching are under eternal judgment. Some today want to explain away the idea of hell and eternal separation and judgment. But Jesus clearly taught these realities. So does Peter. Second thing that's important to see in this passage is this. The reason for eternal judgment in Scripture is always a rejection of Jesus Christ. 
Notice, again, look at verse 20. For after they've escaped the defilements of the world to the knowledge and Savior of our Lord Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become first than the worst, the worst than the first. Verse 21. For it would have been better for them to never having known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, here's our word, turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. That is a rejection of Jesus, a rejection of God's command, a rejection, a turning back, a turning away. See, false teaching isn't a neutral thing. It denies the Son of God. Looking for salvation and hope and freedom in a source other than Jesus, rejecting his work of justification and our need for salvation. This is what false teachers do. We really aren't that bad. Jesus was a great model, follow his example, but everybody's kind of good. And that's not the message of the gospel. We are utterly broken, utterly dead in our sin, in need of a Savior, and Jesus is our only hope. False teachers reject that message of the gospel. A third thing that's so important for us to see this morning in this section is this. The people Peter is talking about are within the church. Notice the language that he uses. This is so important and it creates tension for us. Verse 20. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Friends, that's conversion language. Escaping the defilements of the world. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the exact same word that he's used earlier in chapter 1. Knowing Christ and being known by him. Referring to relationship, it's the same language that the other writers will use to talk about conversion. So is Peter talking about Christians here? Is he talking about people who are saved? Is he talking about something else? Why is he using this language? Here's why he's using this language. He's saying these false teachers are in the church. They've been under the teaching of the word. They've experienced the worship of Christ. They've been baptized into the community of faith. They have a knowledge and understanding of the gospel. And yet, they are not genuine believers. Well, how do we know that? Well, he says a few things. First, he says that they are not only entangled by sin, this is important, but they have been overcome by sin. See, it's one thing to be entangled, to struggle in sin, to strive in sin. We as Christians are going to strive against the flesh. That's a part of the Christian walk. We said a few weeks ago that, hey, as a Christian, you're going to stumble, but you're never going to fall if you're in Christ. You're going to be entangled, but to be overcome means to be brought under the mastery of. So they are slaves to sin. They have turned back from God. They know the way of righteousness and turned back to the holy commandment. But then it's really important in verse 22, he calls them dogs and pigs. I don't know if anyone's called you a dog or a pig lately. That's probably not a very flattering term. But here's the point. He's saying the dog returns to its own vomit. The sow after washing herself returns to the mile. He's saying dogs are dogs and pigs are pigs. Their life and their actions have revealed who they really are. There was never a change in identity. They were always dogs. You can dress a dog up. You can put a sweater on it. You can put sunglasses on it. You, know, you can take beautiful pictures of it, but it's still the dog. You can clean a pig up, but it's still a pig. Their identity, their nature is still the same. These people, these false teachers, are, have infiltrated the church. They were 
of the church, but they were not actually the church. This is what 1 John 2.19 speaks of. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. And the last thing he says about them is that their state is worse than the first. What does that mean? Well, he's quoting from Jesus' teaching in Matthew 12. And Jesus tells this parable about this unclean spirit leaving this person and going away. But then coming back and bringing seven other demons with him. Saying this person is worse off than the beginning. And here's the message for us this morning, friends. If you and I hear the truth of the gospel, but walk away from it, our state is worse than it was before we ever even knew Christ. Why? A couple reasons. One, anyone who has experienced this community and walks away from it is very unlikely to ever come back again. Once you've deconstructed your faith and moved away from the gospel, it is highly unlikely that you'll take it back on. But second, there is a greater judgment. And I don't understand how all this works, but Scripture speaks to it. For those who again and again know the truth of the gospel and reject it. Hebrews 6 talks about crucifying again and again Christ Jesus. There's a greater judgment for us. The state is worse than the first. So false teachers, their teaching is alluring but empty. It promises freedom but leads to slavery. And then ultimately, it leads to judgment because it is a rejection of Jesus Christ. The author of Hebrews speaks of this in Hebrews 10.26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. That's the old covenant law. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. So he's saying, for the person who knows the truth, the gospel has rejected it. The punishment is going to be even worse. For we know of him who said, vengeance is mine, I will pay. And again, the Lord will judge his people And friends, I pray that this would strike a reverence and an awe and a fear of holy God into our hearts. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When we talk about false teaching, Peter's not messing around. This is dangerous for your soul. Turn to Jesus. I want to invite the team to come up and They're going to lead us in a time of response. You might say, man, Paul, that's that's really heavy. Friends, the text is really heavy. But it's one of your pastors who loves you. I want to help you see the truth. I pray the Holy Spirit would even begin now to open your eyes. See, what are some things in your life that could be leading you to believe false teaching, leading you to believe lies? And here's what I want to urge you to do in response. Turn to Jesus. Jesus is the true fountain. We begin this passage talking about how false teachers are waterless springs. But in John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water, physical water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. 
The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water willing up into eternal life. Jesus is the fountain of life. Turn to him, trust in him. Later in John 7, Jesus would say, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Today, brothers and sisters, is a time to return to the fount of living water. So I just want to invite you as we respond, we're going to sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And this is an opportunity for you to kind of consider your own heart. Is there anything you're chasing other than Jesus? And to turn back to him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come to you this morning in desperate need of you, asking that you would be our only source of life, that you would be our source of hope, that we would trust in you. Thank you that your word opens our eyes to see the truth of the lies around us. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you'd help us to be a people who love your truth and walk in your light. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.